Kang here from Open Door Media, and we are doing a roundtable discussion about digital marketing practices or what's going on in the world of media. Um, and we are sprinkling in a chocolate tasting. <laughs> and we have how many of us in the room today? Eight? Seven? Six. Six. Wow, great counter. <laughs> great counter. Yeah, the audience is going to hear that. So we've got four chocolates here. Who can read out what the chocolates are with some enthusiasm? Kristen, you want to take the lead? Yeah, we've got lint, sea salt, and then dairy milk. And then we've got Brookside dark chocolate. And lint Swiss classic. Nice. Yeah. Four good choices. Four wow. good choices. They so, all smell delicious. So before we get into eating the chocolate and chatting, why don't we let everybody know who's here? And maybe they can go to our site and possibly see some video captions to put some faces to the names, if it all works out. So why don't we go, <laughs> go around the table. All right, my name is Matt Braithwaite. I'm the business development manager for ODM. When do I start eating chocolate? I'm Dora Crusaro, the creative director for Open Door Media. You can eat soon. Okay. Um, Not yet. Yeah. Oh. Not yet. We have to do an order. We have to do it all together. We're gonna to have to pick winners. There's so much temptation. We have to pick winners. Oh god. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I'm Kristen Irvin. I'm a placement student for Open Door Media. Oh, hey guys. I'm Kelsey Blewett. I'm the digital project manager here at Open Door Media. Uh, I'm Rob Kylie. I do communications and PR. Fantastic. And I'm Ben Bowen, right now the barista of the office pouring coffee for said Robert Kiley. So um, so the idea of today, we're just going to chat and hang out and the listeners will enjoy that or they won't, but we certainly will. Kelsey's already yawning. It's like the sixth yawn since we've been sitting down. Let's get the girl some chocolate. So we are going to try each chocolate individually and then we're going to pick winners at the end. So which one should we start with? Sea salt. Where's the sea salt one? Okay, everybody take a sea salt. You have and it's a, I can't, so I'm off of sugar right now, but I am the chocolatier host. I'm more Willy Wonka, no, more Oompa Loompa than Willy Wonka. So we had an event here last week and it was social media gurus and Dora was on the panel which was fantastic and I noticed that there was lots of conversation on the panel and from the audience and questions that was all about how do you make the right content to deliver to your audience and there seemed to be a general misnomer that what I thought listening to the questions that that quantity and quality matter. Mm -hmm. And I know, Dora, you kept uh, debunking the quantity over and over and over, where I found other people on the panel and in the audience were thinking, you know, both, always both, 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 which for any organization could be really exhausting. And you seem to differ from that opinion. I think it's exhausting. And like I said on that panel, I don't really see the reason of putting content out there just for the sake of putting content out there. 
if it's not going to make an impact, what's the point of it being out there? I think it's more important to spend time just like really thinking your content through and making a plan and making sure that whatever you're going to put out there is going to be well received rather than just like posting for posting's sake. Um, I, I would actually like to see if there's any data behind like what they were saying about like posting that often because it didn't seem like they were backing it up with any kind of, um, I don't know, analytics or data. Um, because from my experiments of what I've been noticing on social media, it seems like the less you post and the more thought you put in what you post, the higher the engagement. At least that's what I see from my accounts and that's why I see what I see for the accounts yeah. that we manage. And, yes. and based on who was on the panel and what they talked about their actual experience being, you were the one on the panel that had the most experience actually doing the work. So I was more apt to trust what you said as opposed to the two people who said they don't even manage their accounts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I thought it was just, you know, like I, when I said what I said, I also gave people an example of my own account, like what happened on my own account. Cause I used to post three times a day on Instagram. Um, and then I noticed that I was just doing it to meet that quota not necessarily because I liked what I was posting or because, you know, I had an idea that I really wanted to get out there. It was just to meet that quota of like three posts a day. But my engagement wasn't that good. So when I stopped doing that and when I started to like really put thought into what I was putting out there and tried to like understand what my followers wanted to see, that's when my engagement went back up. And sometimes I post once a week, sometimes I post every two weeks but my engagement is way higher than it used to be when I was posting three times a day. It's your accounts, but it's also the work that you do for our clients. We've seen a tremendous shift as we post less often, but more intentional and more talking to the market. Yeah, I think it's very important. Like I said on the panel, I think it's very important to kind of get into the minds of your audience and figure out what they want to see and what kind of content they interact with. and try in advance from now what if they don't work anymore you put in all that work because mm -hmm. each day you review how people are interacting with the content we put out yeah. and you tweak it accordingly yeah but so there's so much that goes before that too right like, right like when people hear what you're saying to her they think i think what they they're hearing is okay i was going to put five out what why don't I just pick the best two of the five that I have and put those out? Mm -hmm. But are those two even good enough as well? Like what goes in, what goes into making the right post that's actually going to matter to the right audience and start to cause engagement and send a customer, you know, down a, some sort of a lead generation or sales portal. Like, yeah. you know, what's the work that, that has to be done? I know there's a lot of research that we do. I think, yeah. And I think Rob can really speak to that. We, we put a lot of work into understanding our audience and that's where the research component comes in. So, you know, I think you should speak a little bit to that. 
Yeah, totally. It's understanding the people who will engage, uh, their demographics, their psychographics, what they like to see in content, and how they actually then choose to behave online. So it's looking through a whole bunch of different data from the platforms themselves, from people who study social media and the different platforms. So yeah, it's very intentional. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed a lot of small business owners struggle to separate themselves out of their marketing. They think that because it's something they want to see or that they think is right, that's that's what they should be doing. When in reality, they're not the end customer. You exactly. need to understand what the end customer wants and then give it to them instead of playing to whims. Yeah, I read a great quote the other day by Ray Bradbury who writes about writing and he said, get out of your mind and get into your readers or your clients. Exactly. Understand your clients the most important. Yeah, and that's so challenging for any business owner. When you think about it, like they got the business to the point that they're at. You know, they went from you know probably not being able to pay themselves to, to making sure they could pay their employees and manage their growth mm-hmm. to one day pay themselves and have a nice lifestyle. And then someone comes in and tells them that they're, 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 what they're thinking may not be accurate. It's tough for a lot of yeah. entrepreneurs to swallow. It's tough and it's scary, I think, yeah. too. But, you know, in the past, social media was a way easier game than it is now. We have to think about the novelty that it presented <clears throat> to people. Like, it was, it was something new, right, to put your content out there on Facebook, your pictures. So it was so much easier to get likes and awareness. But now... Unfortunately, it's not the place to play it safe, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's social media is not a place for you to be careful and, and it's not, just beat around the yeah, bush. Yeah, and it's not telling the businesses that they don't know what they're doing or they're wrong. Mm-hmm. They know how to run their business successfully and yeah. give their clients what they want. That's why they are successful. Where they need help is to get out of that box and to stop doing the stuff they've always been doing in terms of marketing, like continue on with what they're doing in the business side of things mm-hmm. and then think of new ways to grab people's attention mm-hmm. about what a good job they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to, it, so you need to work with a team where you're able to find a good collaborative balance yeah, in their knowledge of their industry and your knowledge of the marketing best practices. Yeah, because I think a lot of business owners just thought posting for the sake of posting was good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't really see the whole back end or behind the scenes stuff that actually goes into posts. So they're just like, oh, we'll just post about this today and hopefully it'll work. And I think people also have to realize that like conventional classic marketing is very different than online marketing and social media marketing. They're two very different worlds and it's a, it's a different kind of um, communication. Like you talk differently to people on social media than you would write an article in a magazine. It's completely two different universes. So I think another mistake that people do is they try to apply the rules of old school marketing to social media and it doesn't really work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said on the panel too, I have to keep in mind that social media is a guilty pleasure for a lot of people. People go on social media because they want to be entertained. They want you know something to distract their minds from their daily problems or something like that. So. Um, posting, you know, boring content on social media is not really going to get you anywhere. And what I love about like the where this digital world's going is that there's so much that's going online. E-commerce is growing at rapid rates, mm-hmm. and as you guys know, I like data. And uh, for example, I was talking to someone today that was telling me that for every five dollars they spend in social ads, they're getting a hundred dollars in sales. And they are spending a couple thousand dollars a month 
on their marketing, or sorry, on their ad budget, and they were looking for help to optimize that. So when I heard that they're getting $100 for every five, or was it 100 for five? Yeah, 100 for every $5 they spend, I just said, keep doing what you're doing. Find more money to put into it. Like, there's nothing left to optimize. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if those are the accurate numbers because that's pretty amazing. But what I love about e-commerce is you can know exactly what you put into your ad budget on the front end and then track where the sales come from on your e-commerce and you know exactly if you're if you're making money off your ad spend or mm-hmm. losing money. And if you're making money, you can keep doing what you're doing and all you have to do is find more money to put into ad budgets. So it's getting easier. But, but the tough part is, is so many businesses are not set up like that yet. No. They're either still products on a shelf or they're service-based businesses, which makes the analytics a lot cloudier, a lot harder to, to track with certainty. Mm-hmm. Right? Because well, it's very hard to track sales like that. Yeah. And well, I just don't think they just know how to sell online. Well, a lot of how many e-commerce stores are out there right now without any type of exactly. online marketing program That's to support it? Exactly. If you build it, they will come, right, Kelsey? <laughs> <laughs> That's not the way it works. No. All right. Um, why don't we go to the second piece of chocolate? So which, which one do you guys want to do next? That one? That one? <laughs> Classic. So what is that? A dairy milk? Milk chocolate. All yeah. Right. Let's Cadbury. do that. Cadbury. I did that on purpose. Here, reach out. I was going to see how long your arm is. I'll just bring it this way. I'll take the whole thing. Robert set, separated them into six piles. Someone can have my so. pile. Actually, it's I said to him upstairs, not only did anyone. There's enough for everyone. You can eat my pile. How's that, Kristen? Good. It's better than the sea salt. Oh, yeah. yeah. Classic. Mm-hmm. You can oh, be yeah. a good so milk chocolate. <laughs> it's my go-to. And they do fair trade chocolate, which I love. Category. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Not all of their bars, but a lot. Interesting. Whenever I'm stressed, Rob just like comes by my desk and he's like, Dora, here, have a little bit of chocolate. <laughs> How much do you have on hand? I buy those every week. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, in next month, I'm, I'm going to come visit you every day. Please. I'm stressed every day. I need chocolate. <laughs> Yeah, well, you had the craft dinner for a while. It's true. I still have those two boxes on my desk. I'm so angry when I see them because I don't know what to do with them. I feel like I'm going to throw up food. I know. But they're expired. You ate one? How was it? The expired one's fine. I'm alive. I feel like KD is, you know, like atomic tap proof. Yeah, it's just the color. The ingredients are actually surprisingly pure. It's like whey, cheese. But it's all dried up, right? It's dried. It's actual cheese? Yeah. Dried. That was just chemical. Space food. Space food. Oh, wow. Katie just got popular again. Space food. <laughs> How's coffee? Right. All right, good. I like taking a bite of chocolate when I'm drinking some coffee. Good. Oh, some yeah. meltage. Some fondue. Yes. Yeah. Have you tried butter in your coffee? That's a new thing. Really? No. Yeah. It's called Bulletproof. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Bulletproof. It's like a mixture. You're just supposed to put coconut oil on it too. Oh yeah. yeah I've butter. seen people just take a bite of butter. I tried it. Hmm. Isn't that any good? I didn't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> and I like both of them. Yeah, you like butter. Does anybody have a favorite ad they've seen recently? Anything on social? I really liked the um, campaign for Sick Kids. The ad for Sick Kids. Well, like with the kids being yeah. superheroes. Oh yeah, that that's great. Like, that's one of my favorites. So good. That was really, really good. I like the concept, everything about it. It was really good. I did just see an ad for craft dinner where they're talking about <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of craft dinners. Speaking of craft dinner, where they're, it's these like lady.
neighborhood barbecue, and the one woman brings a vat of craft dinner, and the other mother obviously looking down the nose at her. That would be me. No, <laughs> <laughs> no that would be me bringing like the pre made stuff. The vat of craft yeah, dinner. Yeah, the vat of And then dinner. the lady said, just what you said. Yeah. So you're indoctrinated. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know it. <laughs> I really like the Frank's hot sauce ones. I put it on everything. Mm. With some bleep words. Oh, yeah. Put this shit on everything. Yeah. 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 Anybody else? Some NTSN now. Yeah, sports bones. <laughs> Golfing's getting me right now just because the weather's starting to nice. So, mm-hmm. gets, me the, gets the itch going. So, um, big elephant in, in every marketer's room should be and is for us right now because we're building a program around it. It's going to be pretty cool. Let's talk about influencer marketing. I think there's a lot of weight there that a lot of people, many people don't understand how it works mm-hmm. and and why it's valuable. They think, you know, you can find these online celebrities and pay them a random amount of money for them yeah. to post something and how does that help you and how do you do that and, and it doesn't sound very programmatic and, and how do you track the data. It's So it's like the, the next frontier of digital marketing. And I know we're building an amazing program that kicks off, when is our... Event. Oh, we don't have a date for the event yet. We have a date for Do the we? event, but it's not public yet. <laughs> not public. Okay, let's not talk about date. We did kick off the sign-ups, though, for yeah. influencers. It's going really so well. So that's open, yeah. and it's going really well, and we've been getting influencers Canada-wide and locally, so from all fields, so that's amazing. And we're working on an event. We're working on an event. And who's sponsoring that? Who's making... Like, we've got some pretty cool prizes, right? We, we don't need to say what they are. They're not prizes. They're going to be, like, swag bags. Swag bags. Nice. Um, and we're getting sponsored by some local businesses, Midori and Cars Bakery. And then um, Neutrogena is going to sponsor our event. Our pretty awesome Which is very exciting to have an international brand come to town. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I especially think. when you call it a town, it sounds even more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a well, city, bro. City. city, and and I think a little big city. I yes. think our program is a first for Kingston as well. Um, it's something that's been happening for a few years in in big cities like you know in Europe and London, Paris, Toronto, Montreal, and Canada. Um, it's something that's been happening for a while. I would say maybe four years. And um, basically the mechanics of of an influencer program is that um, a company such as ours that has influencer program would um, match uh, brands that they're working with with, uh, relevant influencers. Uh, And I think what people don't understand is that there's a strategic element to this. So you can't just, you know, pick up some random online um, celebrities and pay them and your business is gonna boom and be a success I think you have to be very strategic about it just like with any other campaigns um, you have to find the right people for that business um, and that's the only situation where a program like this would work um, we would also you know take care of all the data all the analytics all the process processes that um, take place like you know, the contracts, making sure the influencers are posting the right content, content at the right time. And um, there's more complexities than people think in an influencer program. So that's what we're trying to bring 
into Kingston. Um, we're trying to be the middleman between the influencers and the brands that are looking for the service uh, and basically take care of all the nitty gritty parts for both of them. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think, well, I think I probably know the answer to this because it just makes sense, but, but we're probably starting to look at influencers a little tighter because mm -hmm. there's so many of them and making sure that we can audit who their actual audiences are. I think it's very important to make sure that they have authentic audiences. Yes. You know, a lot of people out there may not know, but buying followers is now common practice. Um, and fake engagement is now common practice. So, you know, there'll be comments made by bots online or bot likes and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So we have to make sure that the influencers that we work with have authentic followings, that um, they have real engagement. So they'll actually be able to provide something important for our clients and like actual exposure for our clients. Um, so that that's of course also a big part of the process, like selecting the right influencers for the right brands. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. All right, let's move to the next chocolate. What do we have? Oh, this one looks fancy. It's like a fruit nut bar of some sort. What is what is it, Kristen? It's a Brookside dark chocolate, but it looks like it has fruit on it. Real cranberries inside. Oh, so. real yeah, cranberries. <laughs> Why? I don't like cranberries in chocolate. Like really? You're not even going to try it? You have to, you have to try it. I don't yeah. like dark chocolate. I had no? so much dark chocolate from these two. <laughs> I don't know if I can have more. Awesome. Chelsea? So it's a clear fourth place right there. Tied for fourth. Mm -hmm. Come on, Rob. What about your no thank you bite? No thank you. Is what? Oh, no, thank you, Bite. You can go for those. You have to try everything. I think it's better than the sea salt. Whoa, Ooh. those are big <laughs> words. And Rob's. Okay, that was And Rob's in. That was the fighting word. So. It's like, <laughs> now he's got to try it. No, oh. it's she just spit. Oh, she just spit it out. It was good. No. No. Wow, they spent. It's fruity or something. They spent all right. their. Like the they spent all their money on packaging. Do you I see mean, what good marketing does? This is the first one I took off the shelf because I was like, wow, that looks really good. It is good. To me, it's not even the taste, it's the texture of cranberries. So you don't like Cadbury fruit nut bars? No. Oh man, they're amazing. Yeah, that's my favorite chocolate. They're so good. Yeah. <laughs> I eat a giant one every Christmas day. I get one from Santa. Okay, so I think this is not going to be the winner. Do not get Brookside Dark Chocolate. Don't get Dark Chocolate. Brookside Cho Dark Chocolate is not sponsoring today's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and probably after those savings, never will. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Kristen, you've been with us for how long in your internship? Um, this is the third week, I think. Third week. Third week, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do you so, think? Is this the first agency you've worked in? No, I worked for an agency in Toronto last year. Um, it, they were strictly designed though. Okay. Um, so I'm really liking working here just because, I don't know, I feel like I get a little bit of taste of everything. There's strategy and like working with clients and then there's a bit of design that I've been doing too. So I'm liking it a lot. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Great. Uh, you were not paid to say that. Right? <laughs> right? It was not sponsored. That was not sponsored at all. Right? No. This whole thing is a ruse. We're just—it's a total setup for you. We're recording it. The camera's only on you. Yes. No Testimonials from within. Yeah. No, it's cool though. I love being an agency. I think it's cool too, um, doing marketing for an agency as opposed to on the client side because 
you get exposed to a bunch of different businesses all the time and different people and various mm -hmm. industries. Whereas I feel like if I had just worked for Home Depot, you'd be doing the same kind of marketing all the time. Okay. Yeah. That's so fair. that's what I really like about that's being fair. an agency. Yeah. Alright, Home Depot, that'd be a cool job. That'd be cool, yeah. Yeah, but not only that. <laughs> so there's so much talk about social and now influencers, and influencers are a social game again. So everything we're doing is social. Even the top apps right now are finding a way to to incorporate whatever their specialty service niche is with a social element. And those are the apps that are really blowing up. And we and now we're seeming to forget the website behind a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So if somebody doesn't if an organization is not uh, able to productize everything that they have to the point that they can create an e-com site, because an e-com site uh, marries really well with search and social, what kind of site should they be looking for? Because I think there's so many sites out there and they're probably getting lost in the mix of marketing sites that essentially do nothing and act activate no behavior or response or feeling because they can't they don't have a shopping cart. Heavy mm, question. I wonder, I don't know if they do need to have a shopping cart for them to be, um, for them to get attention. I think it's very important for them to be up to industry standards. So when people do land there, they're, you know, it's easy to navigate the website. It looks good. It has all the information that they need. I often see, you know, websites as kind of the hub of your business. They need to have very clear information about what you do, who you are, what kind of services you offer. Even if they don't have the e-com element in there, it's still important for the website to be built well, to have like a very clear navigational structure, to have a very easy way for the visitor to consume information. And then, you know, you use social media to, to share about that, but obviously you, you wouldn't put all the information on social media. That's kind of how you get people curious. But when they go from social media to your website, it should be a good website. Absolutely. So, like, speaking of good, it seems like 10 years ago, having a website... Was enough. Was enough. Yeah. How important is the design, like, to have high-end aesthetic now? Like, do users care... I think users care and I think users are more trained now than ever to recognize good design. I think people are bombarded with good design now. Whereas in the past it's like a rarity, I think. The most recent UX study that I was reading indicated that a user will overlook bad functionality if the design is good. Really? Like your wow. site can work like shit and if it looks good the user's like I love this well it's an automatic credibility check it is it's like website looks good yep I trust them yeah if it looks bad even though they can be so good it doesn't matter that I can't navigate through it yeah as long as it looks good yeah it's like having a great wrapper Brookside dark chocolate again but the internal workings aren't very nice yeah like the best company for whatever could have a really crappy website but if they have people like a new customer lands on their website, it's an automatic like, yeah, I don't know about that. And like, their website's not very good, even though they're the best. Mm -hmm. I know. And their website's the worst. They actually, automatically say they're the worst company, even though they're the best. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, I actually kind of like try to scan some websites that I'm always on. And the Zara website came to my mind 
Sometimes they will use these huge photos as a background and then the text of the menu is invisible <laughs> because they're choosing like a bad a bad color and the menu items won't contrast yeah, with yeah, that yeah. color. To so see. they're almost invisible, but that doesn't stop me yeah. from shopping at Zara or like, you know, I'm always on their website because yeah. their website is pretty awesome. Their photography is really awesome. Like yeah. the aesthetics is really nice. Yeah. I don't yeah. care that I can't yeah. even see the menu. <laughs> but are you I kind of know like these, this is where pants are. Are you a loyal customer of yeah. theirs? Yeah. But that also plays in, into it too. So when you have strong brand recognition, mm -hmm. you're allowed to make more mistakes. That's why like Apple, how many how many times a year does do their devices crash, have software issues, they cost the most, they have many problems, but people accept those problems with Apple because they love the brand so much. Mm -hmm. you, which is probably part of the reason why you're okay with Zara. I think I really like their aesthetics. I don't think I would shop at Zara if their website was ugly. Okay. I I wouldn't I wouldn't be as addicted to them if their website were like ugly, a complete piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> I like their website. I think that it kind of comes to add to their aesthetics and like who they are and actually their clothes will look better on the website like people are more prone to shop at Zara on the website than in store because their clothes mm -hmm. look worse in store but the way they style them and the way they present them on the website makes it so attractive that you like overlook functionality those large images they use to make the loading time yeah. Really long, yeah which is problematic obviously for user experience but google's also really cracking down on load times for search engine optimization mm -hmm. and i think they're getting away with it because they have such huge brand recognition yeah obviously so yeah maybe that was intentional maybe they were saying we know these huge amazing photos slow down our load time which could be a detriment to our ranking but we already get a ton of traffic we have huge brand recognition so we're going to play one off the other yeah. Right? yeah or they're just investing more on yeah, and not SEO, right? And I think they have so much traffic anyway yeah. that like they're not worried about the Google no, drift so much. They're they, they're about they're other not. things. Yeah. yeah, they probably get a lot of direct. Yeah. 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 So what right. would you say to somebody, Kelsey, if they were in an industry full of terrible websites and they were not sure if they wanted to invest to do a beautiful website? Why wait? If you can get out on top of your industry do it because once you're on top and everybody else is behind you, they will take twice as long to catch up. If you have a beautiful site with quality SEO and great content, you won't be able, people won't be able to catch you in terms of your SEO rankings, the type of sales that you're going to get and the credibility you have. Mm -hmm. So if you're in an industry where everybody else sucks and your website sucks, that's the perfect opportunity to stop sucking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The first not to suck. Did we see that? Did you get that for your next pitch? Yeah, this is the perfect opportunity for you not, not to suck. Yeah. No, it's it's <laughs> true. Open with that yeah. if you can. We've dealt with a couple of clients mm -hmm. in that situation and like myself, I get so excited for the opportunity that they have mm -hmm. to make that leap, as Kelsey said. Yeah. To get it out in front. Like being ahead in a competitive industry so exciting right sure. but then you then you know then you have to figure out how to stay ahead yeah but getting ahead is step one yeah yeah all right let's do uh let's do chocolate number four what is it dora i, I can't see the wrapper yeah. you only have two you only have two pieces of chocolate oh okay it's lint 
Swiss classic, crunchy. Oh, crunchy. It's with uh, biscuit pieces <laughs> and almond brittle. Huh. Well, that sounds good. It's almond, potentially scrumptious. You can take the whole thing. Oh, milk chocolate. maybe in a minute. Let's see how good it is first. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, you're gonna have to be the heavy hitter. Oh there yeah. You go. yeah. Yeah, you were about yeah, to break it. It's like okay, Matt, do you know the crunch bar? Okay, let's go. Mm. Is that good? Remind me of the crunch bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mostly crunch. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, those are good. That's really good. Oh, Walmart. Well, there we have lots of everything left, so now it's just an open buffet. <laughs> that was a good one? Yeah. Okay, so again that was uh, Swiss classic crunchy. Looks good. I can't wait till next week so I can have it. So before we pick the winners, let's uh, let's chat about data. Everyone's talking about data. It's driving decisions. How much do you think the data should should drive one hundred percent of your decision versus other factors that you may find through research? Because there, there seems to be a notion of there's kind of two camps that I'm following, and one is do whatever the data points points mm-hmm. to, period. And the other is um, use research points on, you know, what the actual humans are are looking at and what's on trend. Because, you know, what's on trend, once something's on trend for a short period of time, it's not necessarily showing up in the data yet. Yeah. Data is a look back and trend is a look forward. Yeah. So you, how do you yeah. marry how do you marry the two? Yeah, data is what's working now. Yeah. I think research I think tells research, you what's going to work. Research takes you to the right data. Yeah. I think that's the role that it it plays, at least in our process right now. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, when you start right off the get-go, you won't have data, right? So that's where research comes into play. Like, it points you in the right direction to get the yeah, right yeah, data yeah. that you need <clears throat> for, you know, later on when you need more informed decisions. But you need, you need that stuff. Mm-hmm. That in between step between like zero and like all the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, always assessing what the data says compared to how people actually end up engaging with your content and using the analytics that the different platforms provide is really important. Mm-hmm. Because like sometimes research might point us in a direction, like for example, for a campaign, you know, it pointed at us towards Facebook. And then, you know, we tried something on Twitter and we realized, oh my God, Twitter is where it's at for this particular client. So then we switched over the campaigns to Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, research kind of points you in the right direction for you to kind of do testing. And mm-hmm. then testing gives you more information and then you take the data from the testing and then, you know, you build on that. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is, to be sure you're asking lots of questions about the data that you're using to make your decisions. So for example, everyone knows that video is a trend and everyone's consuming video, etc, etc. But when you look at that deeper and say, how do different generations or different age groups or different genders consume video, that allows you to make your videos more effective and we found that with our clients. So making sure you have a layered approach, not just having like one big statistic that then drives all your campaigns. Yeah, because we have one customer's target audience like slow videos. Exactly, that's what I was thinking. Versus yeah. the fast clippy video that we're seeing so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it, it worked well. Yeah, so. or we knew they were into classic rock, so we were able to use a soundtrack that would 100%. resonate with them. Mm-hmm. Classic rock? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I know the customer you're thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kelsey and I were talking about it this morning. I asked her what percentage of of the total research is done in the first two months when we start with a customer. And I think you said 70%, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which shows that there's so much research that has to be done done up front, which our job is, you know, always challenging to tell the customers to hurry up and wait because as soon as they contract us, they want us to get going. And then we <coughs> land them in a big research phase, which mm-hmm. is counterintuitive to their excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, what's neat about our process, which I like, is that we might do 70% up front, which I think is more than most, um, but then there's still 30%, so the research is ongoing, mm-hmm. right? And, and always researching against the data. Yeah. yeah, to share a little insight to our process, when we have questions about our clients, we record them in a big document about each client. So we have the ability to look back and say, okay, these were the things we wanted to know, have we found answers to them, can we find answers to them? So it's a continually evolving thing. Another thing that I'm thinking of right now, I also see um, good research as a way to decrease spending, like ad spending and collection of data. Because um, in the beginning, you know, a lot of ad spend will also mean testing. Because even though you do all that research, there is no real way to know how the algorithm is going to react to the pieces that you're putting out there. So... But it, it's allowing us to get that cost down as opposed to just, you know, throw ourselves in with a lot of ads and doing a lot of testing and then getting the data and then like finding the right way. The research narrows it down for us. Mm-hmm. So we do the smallest amount of testing necessary for our client and then we're able to optimize the spending and get the most for the money. Instead of just throwing it all at wall, hopefully something sticks, you can... Exactly. And you know, like, a lot of companies will do that. Well, because the platforms trick you into thinking that that's the best way. Why spend all this time researching when they have all the data points, when they can help you target? Mm -hmm. They They make the whole experience of posting an ad feel like you're pinpointing right to the single individual. Yeah. But what we're finding is the research sometimes moves the needle left or right on that a little bit. Yeah. It does, and it can make a world of difference. And I think, you know, maybe for some clients it might seem like an elaborate and expensive process because they don't really see anything happening that first month or those first two months. But overall, I think it's actually cheaper for them to go mm-hmm. through that process that, you know, just like starting off the bat with a lot of ad testing, you know, you're probably going to lose a lot of money with stuff that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like the client relationship management portion of it, when you can go to a client and say, the reason we want the campaign to be, you know, created and executed the way it is, is based on all of this research, all of our combined knowledge. Um, it's very hard for them to then come back and, you know, push back on it. And I'm all for clients having an opinion and being part of the process and making it collaborative, but at the end of the day, they hired us for a reason, and for them to be completely on board with what we're doing, the research phase seals it every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, by the end of it, we know their market more than they do. Mm-hmm. And it allows us to get their product or service in front of the right people sooner. Which is the whole goal, yeah. right? Yeah, and results. And it's, it's amazing how many people out there that are, let's say, a Facebook specialist, and in talking to many of them, they just use the tool, like the information in the tool. They don't go through a research phase. They're a one-person uh, marketing shop. They specialize in Facebook. 
they get ad spend from customers and they use the tools of Facebook, I think it's pretty fair to say that almost anybody with a credit card could get on and run a Facebook ad. And, and you will get mid-level results because Facebook will give you at least that to keep you coming back for more, kind of like a casino effect. They also might be missing out on um, other potential ways to communicate with their target audience. Like I said, for one of our customers, we thought Facebook is our platform. This is where we should run you know, the main ads for them. But then we realized their main audience was on Twitter and that's you know where they were engaging more with the content. That's what we were getting the best cost per result with our ads. So we switched it over. So if you were, you know, if you have like a very narrow kind of looking at it and if you just think, okay, Facebook, this is it, this is where it's at, this is all I'm doing, you might be missing out on other opportunities for your customers. So maybe, you know, your ads will, will get like twice the reach on Twitter or like twice the clicks for the same amount of money, but you're just like focused on Facebook and you don't know anything yeah. else. Without the, the research and daily analyzing all this stuff that we're talking mm -hmm. about, yeah, I, think it, I think it's fair to say that nobody would take money off of Facebook and put it on Twitter. Nobody would. Most yeah. marketers would say like, Twitter's dead. Why would you use Twitter? Yeah. Put it on Facebook. But be, because we're looking at it, we know why we put it on Twitter. Probably not done easily. We started at Facebook for a reason and we moved it for a reason, right? Exactly. Well, when you see, you know, the same ad on Twitter is getting 137 clicks in three days and the other one on Facebook is getting 40, well, it's not really, you know, a hard decision. Of course I'm going to move it to Twitter. Of course I'm going to yeah. move Which is all the lowest cost for attention. Which yeah, is that whole argument around traditional media versus digital media. Like, billboards are great. They just cost a fortune for the amount of, yeah. of views you get. And click-throughs, meaning, and a billboard click-through is that they, you know, get to their destination, they get on their phone or their computer, yeah. and they go remember the billboard and they go to the website. But you can't really track that. So you can't, you can't, really you can't track, track it. You can just but, but it's a yeah. real high cost for the attention. Whereas, like, in the case you're talking about, Twitter ended up being a lower cost for the attention than Facebook. And that's really all yeah. that matters. And I think, you know, like it also matters that we care so much about our clients' ad spend, right? We want them to get the best for the money they're spending because like, like you said, you know, these people work hard on building their businesses. They're nervous about hiring an agency. They're, you know, they think about all the details, all the money that they're spending. So I think it's, you know, I think you should be that careful. You should be looking at every cent that you're spending for your customer and make sure that you're getting the most for the money. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's vote. You guys ready to vote? What do you think? Top two? Top two. Top two? All right. I... Well, let's, let's go. Who has this as first or second? <laughs> oh, so. Lint sea salt, yeah, dark lint sea salt. Again, they're probably the second nicest box. Gets head shakes, uncomfortable head shakes. Okay, who thinks that the Cadbury Dairy Milk is their first or their second? Okay, and Matt, your first or second, Matt? Second. Second. Dora. First. 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 Neither. Probably first. First. Okay. Classics. I like that. It's probably the lowest cost. No, it's definitely the lowest cost of all four of them. Okay, here we go. The Brookside, beautiful box, dark chocolate with cranberries. Is that, 
is a loser all the way around. It's good. Yeah, but it's if, not the best. If anybody likes this chocolate, um, by the time this episode is posted, we'll put it in the freezer. Come by uh, 623 <laughs> King Street West, and it is all yours. Yeah, we all touched it, broke into little. <laughs> well, if anybody, if You're anybody, welcome to take it. If they really like it, they will. It's expensive. I might take it back to the store and tell them it was, it, it's gone bad. Um, and then Lint Swiss Classic. Number one. Number one for you. Number one, one for you? Two. One and two. Oh, oh, Kelsey is doubling down. Well, I know what to do with it now. Was your, your number two? And your number two? Yeah. And your number one, Rob? Oh, two. Okay, it's all Kelsey's. Look at Rob. He's going in there. Okay, chocolate. That one's yeah. Nice. yeah, eat your number one. Yeah, eat your number one. Yeah. <laughs> I have this at home. That don't matter. You <laughs> own it. You own it, Rob. I'm sad for you. Don't feel sad for Rob. Well, this is fun, guys. Thanks yeah. for joining. It was fun yeah. to talk about our, kind of like our own business, you know, slash what's going on in the market. We don't ever really do this. Next time, let's we did do it in fries. December. Fries. French fries. Yeah. Okay, I'll be in on that as long as it's in May. We're not kind of French fries. Poutine. Well, it's funny because we do kind of do it every day though when we turn our chairs and yeah, quick conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. small bites. Yeah. And yeah. in December we did it for like a whole day, but I turned it into like goal setting, and visioning. Mm-hmm. Yawn. Um, oh, the pigs. That's all I remember. The pigs. Yeah. Can you clarify that for those people? <laughs> Before we get Peter calling us? No, don't leave it. No. Yeah, we'll just leave it. The pigs were there. <laughs> and it was real. Thank you everyone for joining me. Let's keep staying uncomfortable and avoid comfortably profitable. See you next week. Big job.